0: KMTT. This is KMTT. Kimitsion Tezei Torah. And this is Ezra Bek. And I have a novel excuse for those who think that the broadcast is not as clear as it should be. But I ask you to remember. I know this program is the program for Erev Shabbat. Friday, Erev Shabbat. Erev Shabbat Kodesh Pashat Kitisa. But you have to realize that I'm recording this program on Wednesday night. And I've just completed my second 24 hours of Purim. First day of Purim. Yeah, you probably did know there were two days of Purim. The first day of Purim I celebrated in Alon And today on Shushan Purim I went to visit my father who lives in Yerushalayim. And I made another day of Purim. People in Chutzlaut like to compare themselves to people in Eretz Yisrael. How in Chutzlaut they have two days Pesach, two Sitarim, two days Sukkos. 2 days Shavuos, while we in Eretz Israel only have one day. And uh, I admit that two days of Haggadah Shal Pesach seems to me to be not an easy thing. But believe me, two days of Purim puts all those other two days in its small pocket. So, if my voice is not completely clear, please put it down to Simchat Purim, at least for today. Next week, I'll have to think of a new excuse. This Shabbat, this Shabbat is, among other things, the outside of Abicheska Levenstein. Abicheska Levenstein was the Mashkirch in Panevich here in Eis Israel. And I'm reminded of something he said. He didn't say it about the Megillah, but it applies very much to Megillat Esther. On, on Tanit Esther, in the Beit Midrash in Shivat Haritsion, Rab Lichtenstein gave a sicha, a long sicha, an hour and a half sicha, and among other things, he said about he spoke about the pasuk of when Mordechai says to Esther, beit and then she says to him, and kol Lichtenstein spoke about how what does it mean, "hanimzeim It means get all the Jews who are happened to be found in Shushan, because Shushan was that kind of a city. It wasn't a village. It wasn't a, a place where people lived for generations. It was the capital city. People came to work there, or they were attracted to this king or to that king. Everybody who lived there, sort of like, uh, like New York. It was, it was a place where people came from other places. And everybody was alone. They were nim tzaim. They happened to be there. They didn't, they didn't, it wasn't their town. People weren't ish Shushan you were found in Shushan. And the Jews, of course, were even more nim because the Jews are Jews. They're not really even part of whatever little uh, 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 culture, whatever little dominant uh, uh, community exists in Shushan. The Jews aren't even part of that. And therefore the Jews are nim betoch nim And what Esther was saying to them was in order to overcome. The gzera of Haman is lech kenos. Put them all together. Make these individuals make these people living in their little balloons, their little bubbles of isolation, bring them all together, and b'tzumu alay, they should fast as a community for me, they should pray as a community for me, only together as a community will we be able to overcome the the state that we're in. Rabbi Cheskel Levenstein once said that he had a Kabbalah from his rebbeim. He was a he was a disciple of the disciples of the Muslim movement, going back to Rabbi saw Sala Salanta, and he said he had a kabbalah that if there would be a, a tremendous mitzvah which we could do, for instance, building the Beit Hamikdash. For instance, building the Beit Hamikdash, but but doing it would cause machlokas, it would cause pirud, mefuzar or it would cause machlokas, it would cause dissension. He said, I have a Kabbalah that we would pass on the mitzvah, and we'd wait for a better time. No mitzvah is so great that it's worth the price of dissension in Am Yisrael, even building the Beit HaMikdash. On the other hand, he also used to say that when we think that Sibul, this kenos, this, this congregation, this unified congregation, lacks lacks the ability, is is weak, is tired, and doesn't seem to be doing what we know should be done, he said, every yachid, this is pure Musr, every yachid should think of himself as being the pillar, as being the amud on which all of Christ's soil rests. Not that he should go do it himself, but he should see that what he could do, everything else depends on. You can pull the tzibu together. Without the tzibu we can't do anything. But it doesn't mean we wait for the tzibur. We have to be responsible, as much as possible, for seeing that Kral Yisrael, the community, the whole congregation, is unified to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to further those mitzvot and those goals which now are placed before Am Yisrael to do. As I said, Shabbat is the outsider of Yicheska Levenstein. and he's a Chau Baruch. In the beginning of this week's parsha, the, uh, the first pasuk, Ki tisa et rosh b'nei Yisrael b'fekudahem, b'natanu ish kofor nafshu, la Shem b'fekudotam, v'lo ye bahem negef b'fekudotam. The G'vah pointed out, as was the Vilnagons want, the G'vah pointed out that the ta'amim, the trap on b'natanu is an unusual ta'am, it's a double ta'am, kadma v'yazla. And the Goh'a said this kadmav is a reference to G'mara in Shabbat. G'mara in Shabbat, Kufnun Aleph, has a story where Rav said to his wife, when if a poor person comes to the door, quickly give him bread. Make sure you give tzedakah quickly. So that the person who receives that tzedakah, the poor man who has received the bread, Can the future give Tzedakah to our children? So she said to him, Are are you saying a a curse? Are you saying a klava? I mean, why are you raising the possibility that our children will need to receive charity? And he answered, Galgal hu shechuzer ba'olam. It's a wheel which turns in the world. Poverty and riches, fortune and misfortune is a wheel that turns in the world. And that which is down today will be up tomorrow and that which is up tomorrow might very well be down be down today so the G'a'a said that that's what the ta'am on Vinatanu is Kadma v'azla the Aramaic names for the ta'amim literally means proceed l'hakdim go go quickly v'azla and go proceed and go and the G'a'a said that's what it means Ki tisat Rosh B'nei Yisrael lefkudahem ve'natenu kadma v'yazla give the money quickly give, ve'natenu give, give, quickly, give pisi to give, v'azla it will come back because galgal ha'chozer v'olam, money given tzedakah is like an investment and who knows, someday he who received the tzedakah or someone else will be fortunate and will be rich, and perhaps you will need his help. And everything that's given comes back as the wheel turns. That's Kadmah Kadma V'Azra, it goes forth, it goes away, it, it proceeds, it goes out, and it comes back. That's natanu the Mitzvah, the Mitzvah to give. Our guest today on this Erev Shabbat program is Harav Moshe Lechtenstein. This Shabbat is also Shabbat Parashat Parah, we have a special reading where we read of the mitzvah of the para Adumah, the method by which those who what may aimate who had come in t- contact with death, could purify themselves, a special method only for this Tumah, and Rav Moshe Lichtenstein will speak about the Haftarah of Parashat para
1: This week's Haftarah, like that of the previous weeks, does not deal with the Pasha itself, rather it addresses the issues of the Maftir of Pasha Spara. Pasha Spada, of course, deals with the issue of Tumasmes, of a person who becomes tuma by coming into contact with a dead body. The goes an additional step, comparing sin to Tuma, and using the metaphor of the Tuma, relate to the sins of Israel and the purification from sin. Interestingly enough, the Torah does not begin with Tumas Meis, which of course is what we would have expected. Rather, it begins by addressing the issue of Tumas Nida. Ben Adam, Beit Yisrael, Shvim al-admatam, v'yitomuotah v'alilotam, israel Yisrael, in earth Yisrael, have contaminated the land with their sins, is the tomb of the Nida to which B'nei Yisrael's conduct is compared to, not the tomb of the mace. I poured my wrath upon them, for the blood that they spilled, to and for the Avodah idolatry. As we can see, the Navi begins with Tumas Nida and then apparently shifts gears when he speaks about Hadamashashashvut, the blood they have spilled, and relates to Tumas as well. Let us begin by analyzing the comparison between Nida and mace or, better yet, not the comparison but the contrast. The Torah is not related to it all. Tumas nida appears in Sefer Vayikra within the context of a group of tumot which the live human body causes to become tame, nida, zava, zav, etc. Tumasmes does not appear in Vayikra Rather, it is a Parashasparah, in the heart of Bamidma. One deals with death, and the other with the mechanisms of the live human body. One deals with death, one in some form or another has to, has to do with regeneration. Chazal in the Medrash noticed this. The Yalku tells us in the beginning of this verse of Torah, Kitumat hanida behavior, conduct, path is similar to Anida. Ma nida The same way Anida is both Tomei and alternately Tahar. And the cycle repeats itself one of Tuma and one of Tara. Once a month she becomes Tomei and she then purifies herself. Kach ati da kadosh baruch The same way the kadosh baruch hu, is Israel. Kadosh baruch will purify us. Shneamar, v'zirakel lechem am The same way the tomb of the nida is not permanent; it's transient, because the nida will repeat the cycle of the tomb of a Torah constantly. So too, bnei Yisrael will not remain in sin forever. The kadosh baruch hu will come and enable them to purify themselves. The second point raises the Midrash, The sins I ask the in another regard, If you have a dead body in a house, Even a cohen cannot enter the house, because the mate defiles everything in the house. The moment you enter, you are immediately contaminated. Aval nida. However, nida, you can enter the house, you can sit in proximity to the nida, you can even be on the same bench as long as the bench does not uh, shake and cause the nida to move if you're unaffected by her movement, you can live together, reside together with her, and as the famous Gemara Masechet Shabbat tells us, regarding Nida, that, (laughs) if the Nida cannot live together in the same household, together with the husband, (coughs) you cause separation, The only issue there is, is one of ensuring of going to the Mikvah. Otherwise, there is no distance, no remoteness between the Nida and the rest of the household. This, of course, is the advantage of Tumas Nida. It's cyclical, it has to do with regeneration, with enabling a new cycle of birth to begin. And more importantly, it is natural. If we come and compare the sins of to Kitumata Nida, there is both an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is that it's transient, that we are sure that the tumor will disappear. The process which brings it about will regenerate itself. If the need will go to the mikveh, there will be no more tumor, no more sin. It does not cause this from the Kadosh Baruch Hu. Rather, it just causes the tuma itself. The sin itself, of course, is a problem, but it does not impact upon the larger relationship between man and God. For a simple reason. Anida, as I said, is a natural process. So is the sin. Certain sins are natural sins. They're embedded in human nature, We almost expect them to happen. The same way we assume that the menstrual cycle will repeat itself, the body will be defeated once a month and regenerate itself. So do we expect certain things almost to happen? They are part of human nature. They are a function of weakness, of human frailty. and They are not a sense of corruption, of basic... Corruption of man rather is the weakness of human existence. So, therefore, we have a disadvantage or major deficiency regarding these chataim. We know they will happen. A person can stand Matsum Kippur at the conclusion of Ni'ilah, he's cleansed himself of all sin, he's turned a new page, he's wiped the slate clean. And he knows deep down that within a week, a day, a few days, he'll be back with a full ledger of sins of human weakness. Right after Hashem Elokim, we say The Medrash talks about Sukkot. Avonot. Not five days have passed in Yom Kippur, and already there's a new Heshbon avonot. Human weakness and frailty almost dictate the next sin, or to put it differently, it is inevitable. (laughs) Even a person who is a Sadiq, he will nevertheless sin because his human nature is like all others has its weaknesses, its frailty, and therefore we will all slip into these sins. On the other hand, there's the promise. That the Mentor says, the promise of Tumas Anita, that not only is it embedded in human existence, so is the remedy. Nida has a plain and simple solution. She goes to a natural body of water. She knows she will be, be cleanse herself. She knows she can become pure. Her cycle is not only to slip into sin, it's also to rise out of the pit of sin and back to regular existence. It is not a complicated process. You go to a mikveh, a natural body of water, readily available, either spring water, rain water, is found all over, not difficult to find such a body of water. You enter and you return to nature. If nature has corrupted itself, you go back into a new natural body and regenerate yourself. For the same reason that the sins of Nida are the sins of human weakness, it does not cause a break in the relationship. Man So too the man, the husband, is with the wife in the same house they continue to live, they are specifically sureim, but the basic relationship remains unchanged. So too, am Yisrael with the Baruch Hu, man with God, even though sin causes specific problems, zechiv of tshuva, nevertheless, such sins do not impact upon the basic relationship. However, two masmes, Thomas is a entirely different story. It's not human weakness. It's not a cyclical process. It has nothing to do with life and living life and the challenge of life. It has to do with the defeat of life, with death, with the defeat of matter, basically with the cessation of all human existence. This is not nature. This is the overthrow of nature. The feet of man's natural state in existence. There is no remedy, there is no hope, there is no cycle. Once there is death, nothing can regenerate it. Within the world of nature, death is the end of all hope. It's the final chapter. There is nothing beyond it. To cease, to disappear, to lack a mechanism of regeneration. This is death, and the sins which are compared to Tumas are not frailty and not weakness are sins of a corrupt nature. The Psukim talk upon Vaishpoch Ethamati Alayhem that Baruch who will pour his wrath upon us. These are not for the sins of Nida. These are for the sins of Tmay Mes of death, of corruption, of violence that we use against each other, of (laughs) shefichut damim, of a violence, ben adam these are sins which reveal a corrupt and base human nature lacking any hope. the pasuk here, excuse me, compares... This brings to mind the Rambam, Nicholas Roteach, who talks about amin, but murder. Even though there are sins, which from a pure religious standpoint may be worse than shfichut amin. Presumably Avodazara. Nevertheless, Ain olam They do not reveal the level of corruption of the world of human existence. Ashutamine. Avodazara. Avodazara is worse from a pure religious point of view. Not in terms of the corruption inherent in the human nature which commits it. The ends of of course, not Arayot dechilu Shabbat, Einam de'shichudamim, Arayot dechilu Shabbat, which reveal human weakness, are even less chamor, of course. She'eilu avon no; these sins may have eroded, but I'm not makom these reveal problems in the man-God relationship. These reveal problems between man and fellow man, but essentially they reveal a corrupt nature which cannot even recognize in fellow man what I recognize in myself. Whoever has such sins is a rasha. Gamur, which means it is not an external or extrinsic; it is intrinsic to his nature. It's inherent to in his personality. It is a sign of a corrupt personality in which sin is embedded. Interestingly enough, Chazal compare Avodazara to Tumavanida. The Mishnah, Masechet Shabbat. Against Nice Berak, Amar of be Yerushalayim, Minayim of Avudazara, Shemitah b'Maso Ken Nida, Shneimah Tizreim K'modava. Yerushalayim states that Avudazara has the same halachot as Nida in terms of the Tuma, according to Pasuk comparing Avudazara to Nida say to Milo, thus the Navi says, "Manida nida b'masa, af avodazara metamma b'masa. Same way, a nida has tumas masa, so too avodazara. Not the corruptness of murder, rather (coughs) the frailty and the weakness of a nida. Our pursuit of Torah compares avodazara to to toatmate Apparently, there are more than one kind of Avodah Zarah. However, as the Mishnah says, there is a form of Avodah which is also analogous to Tumas Nida. The mess does not have a simple solution for his tara. He can't go to a Mikveh can't find a local puddle, a local spring. He cannot go around the corner and find a mikveh readily accessible. He has to find mei which are rare, are stored in one place. He has to leave his home, leave his regular existence, go to the mikdash. He cannot enter alone. He needs a coin to sprinkle upon him the water. And what's more important, he has to destroy his previous nature. And only by that can he purify himself. The Tara of the Nida involves returning to nature. You go into a natural body of water and you reconnect with pure undefiled nature the Tahara dumas Tumasmes, you have to take a natural, a perfect natural specimen and destroy it. You burn it. Only by burning it, only by dissolving nature, by destroying it, can you overcome the corruption within nature. This is what happens at the Paraduma. You destroy it despite its seemingly natural perfection, and only by that can you fight death, can you regenerate. And sins, which are metaphorically analogous to asmes, these two require destroying the corrupt personality and sprinkling abo- from above, not man entering the Kaddish Baruch, but sprinkling upon him a new spirit of tahara. Only then can he come and retire himself. To now, briefly return to the parasha. Chayta Egel is the Chayta of Avodah Zara. As I pointed out before, Avodah Zara has a dual (coughs) analogy. One is to Nida, as in the Mishnah and Shabbos, and the other in the Asnapos and is. To Shvikhud Damim and to Tumas Certain forms of Avotazara reveal a corrupt religious nature. Others, a weak and frail nature, which must find something to latch upon to, which is abstract. We endure the Kaddish Baruch Hu it's too much for it, it needs something more concrete, it needs something as a security blanket to enable it to survive this world without being able to abstract and connect to the Kadosh Baruch Hu. Which of the two is the Agel? Is it closer to the Nida or to the mess seems to me if, if we compare the reactions in the Torah to the Miragli and the Ketisa and to the Agel, the Chet HaEgil is treated As a function of human weakness and frailty, they simply panic. Moshe Rabbeinu is gone. We are lost in the desert. The wilderness is threatening. We have no idea how to survive. We simply panic. We need Avodah Zarah as a guide. We are simply in a state of panic. This is natural human weakness. A four-year-old who loses his mother in the zoo or can't find her at the mall has a good relationship with her. He simply panics. And this is the egg. It is not a basic corruption. It simply reveals panic and the natural human response. Therefore, the response is muted. The miracle, on the other hand. <coughs> response is severe because the miracle seems to reveal a basic corruption in B'nai Yisrael, who deny the spiritual, who do not seek challenges, who want to sink in to matter into the hedonism, shy away from challenges. The Miraglim reveal corruption. But the ego reveals panic, reveals human frailty, on the one hand, this always carries with it this, the, the suspicion or the problem that we may repeat itself, the way the need does a cycle, a derech is something inherent in life, but on the other hand, it does not reveal that there's a corruption, the relationship can be restored, so the basic relationship deep down has never been destroyed, and the end of the parasha, begins resumption of the relationship and this is what will happen in the next expiration by Yaakov Pkudei. As Tramban says over there, the whole point of Yaakov Pkudei, that we will restore them to the original relationship because the Egel is like a Tumasnita. It is a breakdown but not a basic problem the basic relationships remain, and the same way parent and child, husband and wife resume relationships after problems, so too the need that regenerate herself, so too the Bnei Israel go. And we can take next week with Rata Mishkan. Shabbat Shalom.
0: You have been listening to Rav Moshe Lichtenstein, our guest for Shabbat Pashat Kitisa. In the beginning of the Pasha, Kushboko commands Kitisa et Rosh b'nei Sadh Kudehem, ve'natnu Ish, Kofenasho, Bivkodotam, Belo Yebahem Negef, Bifkodotam. The Basuk doesn't say what at this point what the Chatzi Shekel is for. It says if you want to count the Jews, then they should each give a Chatzi Shekel so that there not be a plague, so that they should not be punished, smitten, when they are being counted. And from this Chazal learn that one is not allowed to count Jews. Later on, when Davar had a census of the Jews, in fact, a negif, a Magifah, a plague broke out, and Chazal explained because he had transgressed this this verse. The Ramban here on the Pasuk really asks, how come Davar HaMelech didn't know the verse? If it's a Isu in the Torah, then it says below, Bahem how could Davar have thought that he could do it? Rabban's answer that he gives here, he gives different answers in different places. The Vamban's answer here is that David thought that perhaps the prohibition in our pasha is l'sha'ah. It's only a one-time thing. It's only for the Jews in the desert. But l'dorot as a permanent part of the Torah there, no there is no such isa. Uh, I'm going to try to explain in a few minutes what I think the basis for the prohibition is but what, what was the basis for Dover HaMelech's thought? Why should there have been a special prohibition in the desert that doesn't exist for all time? The answer to that apparently, and this would make sense according to the Ramban, is that we're dealing here after Chet eger Of course, Chet eger comes later on in the Pasha, but the Ramban, already going back to Pasha Tumah, says that all mitzvahs having to do with the Mishkan come after Chet eger And the order of the Pasha and Tava is not is not exact is not, is not uh, uh, specific. And then I guess the reason would be that the counting of the Jews now perhaps wasn't even in order to collect money on the contrary, it was to count. They had just gone through Cheta Egel. Many Jews had died. And therefore they're counting to see how many are left. But the Jews who are left have survived Cheta Egel and therefore they have to give money not to ward off some uh, something bad about being counted, but to this particular counting is counting sinners, it's counting people who have survived, not been punished, although they participated in some way, perhaps passively, but in some sense in the sin of the golden calf. And therefore, the money being given is kaparat nefesh, it's atonement for their souls, for the souls that participated in Chet Egel. But in any event, that's the wrong stuff. In other words, the truth is, Chazal say, it is a permanent. One should not count. one should not count Jews. Interestingly enough, there's a quite a large discussion in the posthum as to whether the Isu really exists. It's not mentioned, for instance, in November. the Rambam. The Rambam does not quote any such, any such Isu. It's not mentioned in another postgame as well. And uh, it's not too clear what the Isu consists of. The Re'im, uh, also on this week's Pasha, for instance, says that it applies only to cloud If You're counting all the Jews. You want to know the total Jewish population. So then this prohibition exists. You count indirectly and not directly. But he doesn't think it applies to just a small group of people. The common minog of when wanting to know if there are ten people available for Minyan, of not counting them directly, but counting through words of a Pasuk or some other method, according to the Reim, doesn't exist. There is no such prohibition. It applies only to only to Kral Yisra. Uh, the Orachayim HaKadosh claims in its explanation to the Pasha that there are two different levels. There are two different kinds of sensi, two different reasons why one counts. One could be the Tzarach. It's really important. We have to know how many Jews there are. Perhaps it's for the purposes of war, for the purposes of, of taxes, a modern, a modern reason why there's a census. You need to know how many Jews there are. If that's true, he says, there is a prohibition, and the heter is da devarache. One doesn't count heads, but one counts indirectly. You can count money, which is the case in the Pasuk. You can count uh, uh, slips of paper. The Gemara says that you koanim were counted by their fingers, of course, you might say, what's the difference between counting heads and counting fingers? In both cases, you're counting the body. But the reason would appear to be that every time in the Torah it says you count people, it says you count heads. And I think the reason for this will be apparent when I try to explain what the basis for the Prohibition is. To count a person means to count his head, his face, his, his personality. A finger is, is the same thing as, as a coin or, or a piece of paper. So, you, you count indirectly where well, the census is, L'tzarech, has a good reason. He says, "Shallo L'tzarech, if you're just curious, you need it because, oh, you want to publish a book. Governments take sensei because they like to take sensei. sometimes. There's no really good reason. So then, it's prohibited, and it's prohibited even, Alidei but only, Alidei Shkalim. In other words, then you need Kapara. Counting indirectly is okay. But here, since you can't do indirectly for no particularly good reason, no reason which is justified, so you need kapara. And the kapara is to give money. In other words, giving the money is two things. It's one, indirect. But it's also tzaka. And tzaka is mechaper. Eh, ish kofer nafsho, Each person should give the atonement for his for his soul. What's what's the reason for this isur Sounds like a superstition. We call it ayin ha. What's the reason that the Torah says... But you're not allowed to count people. The usual explanation that I've heard, and the one that I really think is, is the most correct, goes more like more or less like this. There are two ways in which a Jew stands before God, stands in the world. You can stand on your own feet as an individual. You can stand as one person facing God with your own merits, your own demerits, your own schuyot, your own chovot, and, and exist and try to survive. Or, one can stand as a member of the collective, as a member of Yisrael. It doesn't mean you lose your individuality, but your basic identity is you don't say I am Yanko Schmerel, you say I am a Jew. I am a member of the Jewish people. and then I have my own particular way of being a member. I have my own strengths and weaknesses which I contribute to the collective. And there's a basic difference between those two uh, personality presentations of personality, as one stands before God. Because Klal Yisrael exists before God as a signer of the Brit, as one side of the Brit. When God sees Klal Yisrael, He sees Abba Mitzakh be Yaakov. He sees S'chut Avot. He remembers the Brit with the Avot, with Yisrael be Sinai. He, there's a whole a, a system of relationships in which there is a promise and a guarantee that God will take care of the Jewish people. Of course, there are better times, there are worse times, there are sins, there are, there are, there are, there are mitzvot. But, but the whole relationship is based on the fact that there is a commitment that God has made to the welfare of Abraham Yisrael and to the children of Rabbi and Yaakov. And anyone who stands before God that way has the benefit of belonging to the body of Knesset Yisrael, which is guaranteed in advance a favorable hearing, and, and will not be destroyed. God has promised, even at the worst possible moments. Nonetheless, I will not despise them and and, and destroy them. But an individual who stands before God has to stand on his, own, on his own feet. And what are his feet? Is he a tzaddik? Is he really a tzaddik? Can he say that he's deserving of existence? I so is deserving of existence by definition. Because God has said, I will keep you in existence. But what's the basis for one's belief that I deserve to exist? And therefore, counting, and now I we understand what counting heads means, counting a person, counting his head, is taking him out of the collective and identifying him as a single individual. It appears to be slightly paradoxical. After all, we're counting in order to know how many is the klal, but you're not treating the klal as a klal anymore. Once the clown has been counted, then each and every individual, you've placed your finger on him, on his head, that means his personality, and you've said, you exist, and you exist, and you exist, and the clown is merely the sum of those of those many numbers. And what the pasuk says is, you should not, it's prohibited, you should not stand out, you should not detach yourself from the klal and say, I simply exist because I exist. Because if you do that, the chances are very great. At least, the midat hadin, the the principle of justice may very well not leave you the ability to exist to exist at all. And that I think is the is the explanation. This is what I've been taught of the general principle of ayin Hava, One doesn't stand out. One doesn't uh, emphasize one's fortune. Above the average, not say misfortune, but above the average. Because to do so, not because to do so causes people to hate you. Why should we assume that my neighbor is looking at me uh, uh, in a manner which will somehow uh, affect me? Who says he has that ability? But if other people don't have and you do have, then they'll look at you, even if they try not to, basically carries the question, why him and that I? And what will be the answer to that question? Because you're a bigger tzaddik? Are you a bigger tzaddik? And as big tzaddik as you think you are, are you really deserving of God's favor as an individual? Therefore, we should always present ourselves, see ourselves, bury ourselves, immerse ourselves in khalisa. Because khalisa indeed is deserving. Deserving not because they necessarily tzaddikim, because God has made the covenant and promised to treat them in that manner, and to guarantee their success, and now for today's halachayumit, we've uh, begun to talk about standing for uh, for tefillah. We've spoken about which direction your face faces. We've spoken about standing. Your whole body should be standing. Now we skip to the other end, to one's feet. There are two halacha that have to do with feet. First is quoted by the machaber, and the second is added by the rama. Usually, very often the rama disagrees with the machaber. Here they did a partnership. Machaber said one halacha, the rama said the other. The halacha of the the machaber is, Yechavein raglav ze etzel Ze. And when stands the feet should be together. Equal. What's the idea? Ki ilu enam You're supposed to stand as though you only had one foot. Why is this? Because by the angels it says the feet of the angels is a straight, is a simple foot, raglehem regal, their feet, plural, is a regal, singular, Yishara, which goes to understand to mean that uh, their two feet appear to be only one foot. And when you stand, I mentioned this in a lachayumit, I think two weeks ago, there is this idea that one resembles the angels. Why is that? Because as I said yesterday, all hilchot fila are based on one basic point, amida lifnei is standing before, before God. And who stands before God? Angels stand before God. So one stands with one's feet together. According to most poskim. the simple explanation of the Gemara means exactly together. Toe to toe, heel to heel. Ben quotes an opinion that said it was heel to heel, but your toe should be apart. Ben rejected it. There's a question, did he reject it totally or did he say you don't have to? some people do that but it, it, it appears to be against most poskim, and, and although one could be lying. it there's really no particular reason to do so One you stand with one's feet together the Roshalmi courts a different opinion that says Roshalmi has a machloket: should you stand like Malachim two feet together or should you stand like Kohanim Kohanim when they walked they took small steps because a large step wasn't respectful to God and a small step is akhev B'Tzala Gudal your toe opposite your heel very very small steps and there's an opinion in the Yerushalmi that when one happens, which stand like that. Akev liyad It's not mentioned in the Bavli, therefore we don't pask in that way. The uh, question is, how would you pass if it was a Macholik in the Yerushalmi? But in any means, the Babli only has one opinion. And therefore, this is the Allah Chapsukah, one should stand with one's feet together. The Bavad then adds a different Allah having to do with feet. And he says that when it begins for an essay, so there is a min'ag to take three steps forward. His definition, derech Ledavar in other So you don't start davening where you are, but you take three steps forward. I think again the idea, the idea is obvious. Davening is Amidah ifnei HaMelech. And you have to enter, you don't live in the King's presence. You have to enter the King's presence. My daily life is not in the King's presence. God is everywhere, but I'm not in His presence, in His chamber. When you daven, you have to enter it. And therefore you should really feel, you should bring yourself into God's presence. And that's the basis for the Minhag of taking three steps forward at the beginning of Tefillah. That's it for today. Wishing you all a Shabbat Shalom. This has been KMTT and this has been Ezra Beck. Torah <speaking> Mitzion, Ki Mitzion Torah Udvar Hashem <Hebrew> Mirushalayim.